what I can do, what you can do, what each one of us came to this world to do, cannot be done by literally anybody else. So if I don't reveal my potential, the world will always be lacking my part. I think that even on a good day, right, on our best day, our ability of what we can do is far greater than what we actually give ourselves credit for. Validation is looking to another and saying, help make me okay, meaning somehow I am not, I am flawed in some way. Feedback is help make me better. The act of living authentically, the act of living and revealing who I am at my core, that beautiful and powerful soul, that bind within itself changes the world. People don't often talk about this most important thing, which is finding your soul, your uniqueness. Welcome to Spiritually Hungry Podcast, Episode 8. I'm super excited to be here today, and we are going to talk about a very interesting topic. An important one. Well, yes, they usually are. <laughs> what if we came around and we talked about bubblegum? <laughs> Something unimportant? Yes. So every one of us is destined for greatness. And I think that most people go through life not feeling that. They usually think that greatness is reserved for certain people, lucky people, and that it's not something that everybody can certainly cultivate for themselves. But what you and I know, and what some other people know, is that each person came to reveal something in this world that's unique to their own soul which is such a powerful idea, because if you look at it that way, then certainly greatness is the destiny for each and every one of us. Right, and, and the Kabbalists actually say, and this what I find so inspiring, that what I can do, what you can do, what each one of us came to this world to do, cannot be done by literally anybody else. So if I don't reveal my potential, the world will always be lacking my part. It's so interesting, because where most people get tripped up is that, oh, there's already, let's say somebody wants to be a chef right? But there's already many great chefs. Or if you look at, and I did this for a while when I started writing books, I was like, well, is what I'm going to say really that different than what somebody else has said? And I thought about this, like if you are going to make a salad, right? And I'm going to make a salad. We're working with the same ingredients, but chances are- You make are, a very good salad, by the way. <laughs> that's why I use salad, salad as an yes. example. But let's say we have the exact same ingredients. It's going to taste very different. For sure, right? Because it's what you put in it. It's not only the ingredients, but your essence, your creativity, your desire, right? Your taste, your character, that's going to influence what comes out. So if we can only apply that to all things in life. I think that's really important because I think what happens is, is we often, like you said, compare ourselves, what we think we can do and compare ourselves to other people doing either similar things or even the exact same thing. When in reality, and that's why I would actually challenge the salad example because you and somebody else would never actually be doing it in the exact same combination. Not only your essence being invested in it, but but we are so unique uh, in ways that sometimes are obvious and sometimes are not. That that it's so important to know that to really know that 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 each one of our souls, our essence, is unique. I think again, I think we either don't sometimes we don't know that or we forget that. Well, I think we underestimate what we can do. And I think that even on a good day, right, on our best day, our ability of what we can do is far greater than what we actually give ourselves credit for. For sure. So if you walk through life and you think, yeah, you know, sure, I could try it, but what kind of effect will I really make? You know, what dent will I make in the world? And then we sometimes don't even try because that thought that happens to be negative is far bigger 
And also, I think the other part of that is that we gauge what success would be for us often by numbers. Well, if I write a book, right? I, well, I know these all kinds of authors and they're selling a million copies and five million copies. I'll sell, you know, whatever. So is that successful, right? And I think when we understand that the view of success and the view of the unique light that I have to bring to this world doesn't necessarily mean that 10 million people are going to listen to me or even five people are going to listen to me. But it might be, it's funny, I was reading yesterday about one conversation that this that this person had when he was younger with somebody who was very successful in their field changed his life. One conversation. Mm -hmm. And although I think for many of us it's more than this, just that one conversation or that one person we're going to influence, but I think it's really important that we frame success not in necessarily quantity, right? But I might have my light needed to be revealed to five people in this lifetime. Two of them might be my children, two of them might be my friends, and the fifth person is somebody I meet when I'm 60 years old. But the point is that, that as long as I know that what I can bring forth by manifesting my soul, my essence, is unique and necessary. Necessary. That's the key. And that I should never gauge it, certainly not compared to anybody else, because I can't compare myself to anybody else, because nobody else is me or is meant to be me. And success of manifesting my soul might be just that one person I influence. And I, you know, I often use this example. Um, my father, as many of our listeners know, some who don't, um, with my mother in the 1970s, really created the organization, the Kabbalah Center, that has, since that moment in time, reached millions and millions of people through books, through teaching, through websites, and so on. My father's teacher had only one student. My father's teacher's name was Rob Brandwein. And uh, my father began studying with him in 1962. And in 1969, his teacher passed away. And when his teacher passed away, he went through a tremendous amount of pain. He, he had only been studying with him for seven years. He had great expectations of continuing to study for, with him for years. And, and he would relate that when his teacher passed away, he didn't really see his purpose as going ahead and teaching other people this wisdom. He felt, first of all, that inadequate. He had only been studying for seven years, even though he had been a great scholar in the Talmud and other studies before. But in Kabbalah, he had only been studying for seven years. So he didn't necessarily even see himself as being worthy of being a teacher of this wisdom. And more importantly, he was filled with such pain and loss at the loss of his teacher, who he loved so dearly. It wasn't obvious to him that he was going to do anything with the wisdom he gained. Mm -hmm. And through that pain, he just he chose the path that he did, which is to, to say, well, there's nobody else in the world really bringing this wisdom, this thousands of year old wisdom to the world. I need to do it. And through the pain and through the many, many, many challenges that he and then with my mother faced, they continued doing this work, bringing this wisdom. And, and because of that, millions of people, including myself, are able, including yourself, yeah, yeah. yes, are able to, to have access to this wisdom. But I always think two things. First of all, Brandwein is looking at, if he was looking at his life, right? And he accomplished many things. He wrote many important works. But he could have all said, well, how good of a teacher am I? I only have one student, right? And that student... It wasn't so obvious that he was even going to do anything with what I taught him after I died. But one person spending his whole life, in my, my opinion, preparing himself to be a teacher to one student changed the lives of millions of people. That's so beautiful. And, and that's, so are you saying that you think that people, again, they underestimate the power of their influence or, and or are you saying that 
we tend to only see something as worthwhile and investing in if it's going to be big, reaching masses. And then my third question there is, is that then completely connected to our ego or are we still revealing the light within each of us? So that's the first two questions is yes, meaning we, it's a weird paradox. On the one hand, we underestimate our potential, which is far greater than any of us really sees, recognize, recognizes. Sure. And, and, and on the other hand, we overestimate sometimes, I think, what success would mean for me in revealing my potential. And, and if we understand that... Which leads us to give up, kind of. To give up, not to invest en- enough time and effort in it. When, if the view is, I need to be me, the most perfect, elevated, beautiful, revealed me. And how, what that is going to do to anybody else in the world, that's not really in my control. It doesn't even matter as long as I am really focused on revealing myself in the most powerful way possible because I know that it's there. And then whether I touch 10 people or I influence 1,000 people or I influence one person, that life will show me that path. But, but I think it begins with that basic understanding that I, I am both unique, necessary, my light is necessary, in, not only in the world today, but in the, in the history of the world. And nobody else will ever be able to do what I can do and reveal in my unique way what I can reveal. So, you know, I totally agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate sure. for a second because I can hear what many of, you know, people who, who study with me and, and, you know, follow me say, the, this sounds so lofty, right? Like what I can do in the world, it's like change the world, help the world, right? It's, and most people, I think, find themselves in the place of, you know, am I even worthwhile? am I really even deserving of something good, right? Because if you have these negative belief systems, even if you understand the spiritual concept, which is a beautiful one, right? That we all have the power to affect great change in the world and in individuals as human beings, that's part of our birthright. But how do you get to that place when you're starting at such a low level space? And a lot of it, look, you know, I often say we come into the world loving ourselves all of us, right? If you look at children, they're just like, they look in the mirror and they're prancing around in their costumes. They're just loving everything about them. And then somewhere along life, we learn to unlove ourselves. And the great news is that we can relearn that again. But that's usually where people find themselves. I'm sure that's true. For the majority of their I'm lives. Sure. You know, we, all, often, we often joke about this, and even in preparing for this podcast, we had this conversation, you know, that maybe because of, of the, way, the way my parents interacted with me, maybe... Who knows what, what the reasons are. I don't recall ever experiencing that loss of appreciation for myself. And, and, but, but I know... And therefore not loss of self, because that's the other thing that happens, is that people lose, they stop loving themselves, and then they stop knowing themselves. And then they start seeking validation external of themselves. Exactly. It's funny, because I remember, I remember having this conversation with a man who was, he's since passed away, but at the time I had the conversation, he was in his late 70s or early 80s. And he was a very, very successful business person. But almost every time we would talk, he would explain to me and tell me the stories of how his father never thought that he was a good businessman. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting, and I remember the first time, and again, you know, often this happens in life when you do certain people in your life, you often have the same conversation over and over again. And, and I actually, you know, and I think they have pleasure in retelling the story in different ways, but, but the same story. But I remember sitting there the first time and saying, oh, wow, oh my God, You're, you are in your late 70s, or early 80s. You are a very successful person. 
But when you were five years old and eight years old and 10 years old, your father said these things to you. And it has impacted you for the rest of your life. I never said these words because I didn't want to be this forward, but I wonder how much love for yourself your father stole from you by, by telling you all these things throughout your life. On the, that was the one hand. On the other hand, it was, it was almost, to my mind, don't you realize what you've done, meaning accomplished? Like you should have so much appreciation and love for yourself and, and to such a degree where you don't even remember what your dad told you. But it will never be enough. As long as the voice in your head is is something negative, and even if it comes from a parent, right? Because that's usually becomes our inner critic is the critic we heard when we were growing up. No matter how successful this person became, it will never be enough. It will never be enough success and never enough money, never enough power. Why? Because they're not even doing it for themselves, in fact. They're not even, maybe they don't even know why they're doing it. They're just trying to prove and say, look, I'm worthy of love. It comes back to that. Look at me. Am I enough? And when we talk about validation versus feedback, because I think this is a really important differentiation to make, validation is looking to another and saying, help make me okay, meaning somehow I am not, I am flawed in some way. Feedback is help make me better, right? Give me a suggestion, let me improve. They're completely two different energies. Unfortunately, most people look for validation. And when you do that, then you will never be enough. And by the way, when your worth is based on somebody else's opinion, then when that ceases to exist, maybe they're no longer in your life, then guess what? You're gonna go back to those empty feelings. Like I give this example with relationships. If somebody felt not pretty, right? Their whole lives and they meet somebody and, and he falls in love with her. You're so beautiful. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. I love everything about you. And now suddenly she feels worthwhile. Well, let's say they break up. Now she's gonna go back to all of those feelings she had about herself in the first place. Right. I think that's that's so important. And I, I actually, as you were talking, I thought to myself, we really should take a moment here and pause. And I think it's important for our listeners to really ask that question. Really, how much love do I have for myself? How much appreciation do I have for myself? How much of my self-esteem, self-worth is is dependent on external validation, even from loved ones, like you said. We should not, even from our spouse, from our I husband, from our wife, from, certain, from, from our parents, we should never base our self-esteem, our self-worth, our self-love on any external any external validation. And, and two things which, which I think are important to point out. One, loving yourself doesn't mean that you're perfect. Like you said, none of us are perfect and none of us are ever going to be perfect. And sometimes, you know, I think I think when we when we talk about loving yourself, people say, "Well, I, I can't love myself. I I just did this terrible thing or bad thing or or not good thing." And and I look at myself, I'm I have flaw in this way. Well, people tend to think they're the last bad or good thing that they've done, right? Right. So if you did five bad things today, now suddenly you feel like a bad person, and then there might be all kinds of self punishing behavior that follows that, which we'll get into in a little bit. Right. And also. Falsely, we think we're the last great thing we did, and we're riding that wave, and then we crash when we do something that we don't like. Right? And that's so why, yeah. That's all fleeting. None of that is real. That's why I think there's, there's actually a concept that, that, that I think is one that, because you asked the question before, how do you get to that self-love? And, and, and sometimes really just coming to know that I am a beautiful and unique being. But you know, there's a parable that the capitalists often give, which is if you know that your soul your essence, who you are at your core right now is both powerful, perfect, and the essence that can never be 
mimicked by anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that that's who you are manifesting yourself in the world, because you have, I have, all of us have throughout our lives, put layers upon our essence. So, so when I act selfishly, when I hurt somebody else, I put like a, a veil upon my soul. It doesn't change who I am, though. Almost like if you have an onion, right? And you have peels. And if you've been under, there's many, many layers to an onion, right? At the core, the core is the same. But now you've covered it up through every action that you've done, well, negative action. Right. And to mix the metaphors, they often use the example of of a light or a candle or even a bulb that you put, you know, one layer that's maybe a little bit. What's wrong with the onion analogy? No, because I, I, mean, I, mean, I think, when I think onions, it's funny because you know, like I love. It's funny. This I last night onions. at dinner, yeah. I was going to eat onion. The salad came with onions, and I really, I really enjoy eating onions. Monica does not let me eat onions. Not if you're sleeping in my bed. <laughs> so, so I was right. So I'll tell you the honest truth that it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So this salad, it was a beautiful Greek salad, and it had onions, and I was so tempted to to eat the onions. And I ate one onion. <gasps> I did. I I'm sorry. You did. Yes. And then, but then I said, you know what? I, it's not right. It's not right <laughs> because I haven't had onion in such a long time. And when I bit into the onion, I realized, wow, it really is a very strong smell. And you hated it now. No, I loved it. I wish I could eat all the whole bowl of onions, <laughs> but I stopped so for you. So you should have liked the onion analogy. I don't know why you switched it to No, but light. no, I think I have a negative connotation exactly. around onions. Yes. You, ru- you ruined my onion enjoyment. Mission accomplished. <laughs> so anyway, so back to the light. <laughs> so so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, onions are really great. Only onions cooked. Really, no, yes, I like raw onions. onions oh. no. So, um, right. So, the, so they use the example: if you have a, a, bu- a beautiful light that's pure and perfect, and then you put a, a veil around it, and it shines a little bit out. And then you put it on the veil; it shines even less, and so on and so forth, up to the point where you can actually make it so that there's no light coming out from that light or that candle. But the candle has never changed. The candle has never changed. That light has never changed. All you've done is put a layer upon it. I think that's so important. I know that I use this for myself. You know, we do positive things, we do negative things. We're up one day, we're down another day. We often talk about consciousness is so important. Knowledge of this is so important. If I really accept the fact that there's nothing that I could ever do, there's nothing that could ever happen that can ever negatively impact who I am at my core, at my essence. Then the work of life is, okay, let me remove more fails so that the perfect light that I am and the great wisdom that I have inside and so on and so forth can begin to shine. Because I think, again, I think that whether we're conscious of it or not, what often happens is that we don't really believe that we are at our essence, at our core, a pure and powerful, wise, light-filled being. No, of course not. Exactly. And well, by the way, I think that people, they, they go through, light. like I was speaking to somebody yesterday and it, it was a session we had. I've never met her before. I, I still, I was on the phone. And for the first 25 minutes, she's like, I, I, I can't get over the horrible thing I've done. And she kept, she didn't say what it was, like going in circles, but she's like, she sounded so sad and so heavy. And I was like, you sound, and I told her that, like, do you want to tell me what you did? And we often talk about this. Nothing really shocks us anymore because we've heard a lot of things that, that people have done. And some are really like, wow, right? That that are shocking, but never, never, I never judge because we all have good and evil in us. And it's the one that you feed is the one that grows. And what she had done was not even, she hurt somebody and she married somebody else. She's like in her forties and she is punishing herself. Like she's just stuck in that loop. Consciously punishing herself or subconsciously? Um, She, 
it, it was it was subconscious um and then she had a crazy back injury and was in pain for five years to the point where she wanted to kill herself mm-hmm. so it manifested physically and now she has a new lease on life and they did some kind of surgery to relieve some of the pain but she's still stuck with that thought and like i'm begging you to change this now right because she's left her entire being her whole existence in some sort of pain and after she told me that that's what she had done i was like well we all i mean you didn't know better then, right? She talked about her childhood. There was like many things that led her up to the decision she made, and she has such regret about it. She's just punishing herself. It's like, so does she see her light? Does she see her unique essence? Does she think she's deserving of good? No, absolutely not. She's just stuck there. So um, we do this to ourselves, you know. We especially we are the last bad thing we did, and that's who we are. Right, and again, I, I just just feel the the need to again take a moment and pause because I think this is so fundamental for all of us, for myself, for you, for, for our listeners, like to really understand that we want to take the time right now to, to think about, to acknowledge, to accept the fact that we are an, an unchangeably powerful and, and beautiful essence. And, and, that, and then anything else we can think about that we've done today or yesterday, all that ever does, all that ever does is veil who I am, but it never changes who I am. It's such an important understanding. And again, and if you have that, again, I think if you start living with that thought, then then you can actually continue begin or continue to reveal it. Because if, obviously, if you are not aware of the fact that you are this powerful and beautiful being, then there's no way you're going to allow yourself to reveal that. Well, it's interesting is I often give this exercise to people I work with. Also, is to imagine or to look back at who they, their childhood pictures. And look at that, right? Because you look at a child and they're pure, right? They're innocent, they're curious, they're excited about life and to discover things. And I remember when I, and I've talked about this as a child, I felt very connected to the creator. I felt very spiritual. I almost felt foreign here, in, especially in my home. I was like, oh my, I've come from like an alien place. I don't recognize anything. And of course, my parents were loving, but I just felt like, and there wasn't a lot of spirituality in my home. So I remember having tea parties with God and I would have conversations and I still remember them vividly, like age four and five. And then I went through a period where I was rebellious, went to Beverly Hills High School, and I started to act less like me. I became less authentic to the point where I didn't even recognize myself. And I remember around age 17, 18, I'd look at my baby pictures and I'd cry every time I looked at the pictures. And I was like, why are you crying? And I realized that I could not recognize, I felt so far from young Monica. I just couldn't even connect to that. I missed her, right? So for me, and then subsequently, shortly after that, I developed an eating disorder. And 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 that's like the lowest form of self-love. So I was able though to understand in that moment and hold on to that hope that I could find her again. I understood that I didn't become something else. I was acting with different parts of myself that I didn't feel proud of, but I didn't, I didn't, she wasn't lost, which was inspiring because then I could find her. Right, right. It's interesting as as you were telling that story, when we said earlier that we have a unique light to bring into this world, you know, and again, I think part of what sometimes 
um, hinders us from revealing it is we mentioned before, but it's like, what do I measure myself up? You know, what, how many people do I have to reach in order for me really to be able to manifest it? And the second, which I think is such a beautiful idea, you know, we have a friend that we both know we find, she's such a beautiful and sharing person. And we often say, regardless of whether we interact with her, just knowing that she's in the world yeah, makes, makes us happy. happy. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, there's, there's a story from um, Rav Ashlag, uh, uh, the founder of, of the Kabbalah Center, he passed away in 1954. So it's told that before he passed away, and he spent most of his life in study, writing, uh, and, and in teaching. In the last few weeks of his life, he was on a, an oxygen machine. He was in very poor health. And the day before he passed away, he was lying in his bed. He sat up, and he began speaking. He began speaking. And his student, who was in the room with him, who was taking care of him, wanted to take off the mask to hear and he must have been revealing great secrets yeah. or saying such important things. So he takes off the mask and the teacher says to him, this isn't for you to hear. This just needs to be revealed in the world. Wow. And I think about that when, when we talk about first accepting the fact that we are a powerful being that, and my light is unique. I think it's so important to divorce that completely from how anybody receives it. Although I believe ultimately, yes, there'll be one person or five people or a thousand people or a million people who will be changed by your light. But it doesn't even matter. The only thing I need to be concerned with is that my light is being revealed in the world. And people might receive it directly, or people might just be receiving it because I am that light that is revealing, being revealed in the world without anybody knowing. And there's so, so, such a history of, of you know, great souls who nobody ever knew about. There's actually a whole concept, right? That in every generation, there's at least 36 people that nobody knows that they're unbelievable souls, and they actually are the ones that that sustain our world with their light. And I think it's, again, going back to not needing external validation, knowing that I am a powerful and unique soul, it doesn't even matter who or if anybody ever acknowledges it or even receives from it directly. My job is to reveal my light in the world. I believe, by the way, that most of our listeners will actually, if they begin reveal, knowing that and therefore revealing it, will, will, will impact one person 10 people, 100 people, but the act of living authentically, the act of living and revealing who I am at my core, that beautiful and powerful soul, that bind within itself changes the world. But I think what you said is so key. I think what the main takeaway, the first thing, is just the knowing, right? right. Because if you know that your light is unique and you need to reveal it, it's kind of like knowing that there's a treasure somewhere far out there and you know it, right? You don't know how you're going to get it. You don't know how you're going to get there. You even don't know all the things that you're going to come against on your journey. But you know that it's there and you're going to go after and pursue it. And I think that we need to take that same approach with ourselves. Far too often we put so much energy in things that are external or things that other people find or deem as important. And that's what we now understand we should pursue. But people don't often talk about this most important thing, which is finding your soul, your uniqueness. When we talk about authenticity, I think also many people misunderstand that. They think that to be authentic means to be honest. And that's not what we're talking about here. What it really means is to be genuine, which therefore is entitled of acceptance. Because Again, if we're going around looking for all these external ways to find who we are, we're going to go in circles. Being authentic is an acknowledgement that we are imperfect, yet still worthy of belonging. 
Somewhere along the way, as I said, we learn to unlove ourselves so we can learn to love ourselves. And I love this quote by psychologist David Schnarch. I love his name also. (laughs) He says, it's challenging to become an authentic adult because it means, among other things, soothing your own bad feelings without the help of another, pursuing your own goals and standing on your own two feet. Most people associate these skills with singlehood, but marriages cannot succeed unless we claim our sense of self in the presence of another. So I talk about relationships a lot, and I think that I do want to bring this up because I think that it's harder to do this work when you're in a relationship because we depend on the other person to provide for us in many ways and for many things. But this part of really belonging means that you feel comfortable in your own skin. It's not belonging into any other group or part of something else. Right, and and unless you're... And I think this isn't something you can do. I know you speak about really preparing yourself even before you're in a relationship, certainly before you're in a marriage, to really accept yourself completely. Um, because you can't, uh, just we spoke about, you can't expect validation or even depend on validation external. And, and it's unfair even to some extent to, to put that on a partner or a spouse. Mm-hmm. There's a story about a great Kabbalist a few hundred years ago. And um, the story goes that he was, when he was a young child, his parents sent him to, to school, and we was meant to obviously study all day. And um, he was goofing around. He wasn't doing well. And when he was around 12 years old, uh, he hears his parents talking. He was going to sleep, and he lived in a home and in a small house, and the parents' room was next door. And the mom is, like, crying hysterically. And she's sharing with her husband that the school let her know that they have to kick him out of school. He's not studying. He's not coming into class most times. And she's like crying in such pain to her husband. You know, what's going to be with our son? You know, we have such such expectations of him. I know that his soul is so powerful that he can do so much. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he said that when he heard that, he felt his mother's pain. And he made a decision that night that he was going to dedicate himself in school and to the work. Years go on and he becomes not only a, a great pupil, but he actually becomes a great scholar, a great teacher. And he actually tells this story at um, one of the getting together where he's printing one, uh, one more of his books. And he says to his students, he says, because of that night, I dedicated myself to studying. I became a scholar. I write many books. I have thousands of students. And that's great, but that's not why I'm telling you the story. He says, imagine had I not heard my mother that night. My soul clearly came into this world with the potential to be a great teacher, to be a great author, to, to write important works. Had I not heard of that night, I would have lived my life, and, and I would have been, a, I'm, you know, by nature, I'm a good person. I would have been a good person. I would have lived my life well. I would have gotten married, had kids, raised them probably pretty good. And then when I, my soul left this world and you know, entered the supernal worlds, it would be asked, where are your thousands of students? And I'd look around and I'm like, what are you talking about? Me? Thousands? You know, I, I could read and I could write and I, you know, I was a pretty good businessman. I was a nice person, but I, there's no way I couldn't teach anybody anything. What are you talking about? Thousands of students. And then they would say, where are the tens of books that you were supposed to author and bring into this world? And again, I'd look at them shocked. What are you talking about? But they would be right, he says, because my soul's potential came into this world to be a scholar, to teach thousands and to write books. And, and, had I missed out on that night crying of my mother, I would have missed on the opportunity of my soul. And I think it's so, you know, the Kabbalists say that one of the worst aspects that we accept from, we call it from the ego, from the negative side, is diminishment of appreciation for who we are and what our potential is. That's probably the, the 
biggest failing of any individual. It's so interesting because I think that we all have two parallel worlds, right, that we can live in. I could be different versions of myself depending on just a series of choices I've made. And some people might still pick door A, let's say, and be relatively happy and somewhat successful, but it doesn't mean that's what their soul came to reveal. And you can pick another universe and another, right? To really be able to find that thing, that unique thing that you were meant to do, I think you have to constantly be asking yourself the question, not what am I comfortable with, not even what am I good at, right? I think it's the thing that's kind of hard for us, that's always with, without, not in our reach. It's a little bit further away, but that we keep chasing that. Yeah, and that makes us uncomfortable. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was giving a lecture in Mexico, and at the end of the lecture, somebody raised their hand, they asked the question, you know, how do I know that, that I'm doing what my soul came into this world to do? What, what's an indication of that? So really, my, my answer was three points. One, that it begins with what we've been talking about until now, which is you have to know, you have to really know and this doesn't come by listening to a podcast and accepting it. You have to be reminding yourself every day. Right, the knowing. That I am, by my core, my essence, my soul, is a powerful, powerful force that is meant to reveal great light into this world. Second, you have to take an inventory of your qualities. You know, some people speak well, some people write well, some people are, are, are great uh, communicators, and some people are great uh, socially. Right? Everybody, and, and of course, and that list goes on and on. And you have to match up your qualities. You begin with the core of knowing that you are a powerful being. Then you really look at your qualities, and then you ask yourself the next question, which is probably, I would say, either the most important but the trickiest. What makes me uncomfortable? Wait, can I just challenge you for a second? Sure. Because even if you look at your qualities, some of them are untapped or unmet, right? And so you don't think that you, you, could, you could be good at it, but you, you might not be, right? If you look at us, for instance, I know when we got together and we became married, you were very much introverted. Right. And you preferred reading. For sure. Versus speaking. And you would have been happy reading and probably writing all day, right? But that you're, you had the potential to be so much more. And for me, naturally, I'm more social and active. To sit in quiet study was a stretch for me, certainly to public speak. I mean, I remember when I started, I was like, I was so nervous. I don't think I slept for a whole week or two. <laughs> leading up to that. So again, that's the discomfort. But I think that I didn't know that I was necessarily good at that, right? I think it's things that you have the potential to be good at. It's not the things that you're naturally... Right. And that's why I think the third, that's what I was saying. So you can't have the second without the third. You can't have the second without the third meaning? You can't just look at what naturally comes... Oh, for sure not. For sure not. Because right? because, very, some, because some qualities are either nascent or not even, you can't even see them at that time. But... I think, I think what you said is, is true, which is if you look at what is uncomfortable for you and start pushing yourself in that direction, yes. then you will actually reveal things that you didn't even necessarily know existed. Exactly. And that, I think, is when you really hit on what you're meant to do. Right. But it's a gradual process. You for do sure. have to start, like you did and, and I did, you, you start with what you see and are aware of, of your qualities. And then you slowly progress if you're pushing yourself constantly living with the knowledge of who you are, pushing yourself to be a little bit more uncomfortable. Like you said, for me... It's kind you, of like if, if somebody were jumping rope, right? And you jump and you really, you're very athletic, jump with two feet, then you want to challenge yourself, and then you want to jump with one foot, then you want to try it, right? It's, it's constantly to be pushing yourself to what you can do 
in ways that you don't even think are possible. For sure, for sure. And like I said, I may often use this phrase that right, the person I am meant to become is somebody that the person I am now can't, can't even recognize. conceive, can't, can't recognize. And, and if you know that, so because it makes no sense to think that I could possibly know myself right now who I am because, and this is the, for me the exciting thing is, I know, and I, you know, not to you know, sort of brag, but I, I've done a few things. I've taught a number of people, I've written a number of books. But the exciting thing for me is that I know that no matter how much I've done, what is yet to be revealed of myself is so much greater. So there's no way I can possibly know what the perfect revealed me in 10 years is. But I do know that if I am constantly living with the knowledge of how powerful my soul and essence is, and I am constantly pushing myself to be a little bit more uncomfortable in revealing that, then things will be both in what I can do and even who I am to myself will become even more revealed. That's funny. Somebody interviewed me once and they said, so when did you arrive? And I, I actually laughed out loud. I said, arrived. I said, I never want to arrive at anything or anywhere. I hope that tomorrow I'm a person that today I can't even recognize because we only see things in the realm of what we know, right? What we know today is limited, right? We're going to know something tomorrow that's different and in 10 years from now and as we expand our consciousness we're meant to expand our our vessels right, right. and become far greater which i think is so which is it, what inspires us to do the work that we do right and that's right and to plug the name of our podcast that's why it's so important to be spiritually hungry what i think is so exciting about this is this i know like i said that that what i am meant to be next year and in five years and in 10 years is so beyond who i am now so I have to keep pushing myself. I have to keep studying. I have to keep knowing how powerful I am. And then hopefully, not hopefully, I know that it will be revealed to me. My next step and my next revelation and my next revelation. If you don't start off and live every day with the knowledge of your powerful essence, then all the other steps can follow. So let me ask you one question as we leave our listeners today. What would you like to tell your 20-year-old self? Like, what is it that you understand today that you wish you had known then? And I know you never think in these terms, which is why it's fun for me to ask you this question. My 20-year-old self. It's funny because, not, not to be boring, but I think I would say everything I said until now, which is this. And I, by the way, I, I can tell my 47-year-old self the same thing I would tell my 20-year-old self. And I'm assuming my 67-year-old self would tell, tell my 47-year-old self. Well, you don't self. know. You haven't met him yet. Right. That is that... You are powerful. Your essence, you can't even begin to imagine the influence you're going to have on this world and the light that you have to reveal in this world. It's not going to be easy. And unless you are both constantly challenging yourself to grow in uncomfortable ways, you're not going to be able to reveal it. And this, I think, is 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 such an important idea that, that you know, the Kabbalists often say that our ego will let us do many things, except the one thing we came to this world to do. And the way to know is the question, is it a little bit difficult for me? Is it a little bit challenging? Am I pushing myself? Am I, and that's why I, I love the phrase that you used, being a chain junkie, right? That, that unless that, that, that's a constant driver, then yeah, you could be a good person. You can be, you know, even a successful person in levels, spiritual, physical, but revealing your essence, you have to challenge yourself all the time. Challenge yourself all the time. And I think when you live in that way, at some point you start to go backwards because you've already achieved the things that you understood and that you knew. And then what? We get bored. 
Where do you go from there? No, and I find and find that you know, sort of, you know, we call the creator, the 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 universe will give you what you need. So if you feel the need to do more, you'll be given the tools, the inspiration, the, the people to do more. Mm-hmm. If you don't really have, and it depends, and that's why desire is really the essence of our soul. If you have a lesser desire, then then what you need to do will be impossible for you. The people won't come, the thoughts won't come, the inspiration won't come. And it's it's a very it's a very interesting paradox because and this is something that we haven't gotten into yet, but in order for me to accomplish what my soul came to this world to accomplish, I'm gonna to have to do a few impossible things. A few things that I, as of today, don't even have the strength to do. But if I keep pushing, if I keep being hungry, spiritually hungry, and learning more and sharing more and 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 asking myself those questions all the time then people will come to assist me, inspiration will come to assist me, all kinds, the, the, the universe will conspire positively with me to help manifest that. Which doesn't mean it will be easy. Oh, it won't be easy. Right, it but because be people, when they hear positive, oh, this, you need all the support, and then suddenly we think it's, you know, rainbows. It's not, but it feels like it, right? Right, right. And, and there's actually one other point, which which might be a little deep, but I think it's such a powerful one, and again, one that I, a consciousness, a thought, the teaching, that I, that I often use for myself. Ramashlag, one of my favorite teachers, the founder of the center, said th- that a person has to know that he or she is in constant contact with the light of the Creator. Constant contact with the light of the Creator. What does that mean? The force that created this world, the force that sustains this world, the Creator, the light of the Creator, can do anything. That light can change anything. And if I understand that I am a, in constant contact with that source, that means that together with that force, I can do anything. There's nothing that can stop me. He says, though, that knowledge is what differentiates. He uses the example, imagine you have a lottery ticket and you won the lottery. You don't know that you won the lottery, but you, had, you bought a ticket, you put it in your pocket, and now you're a millionaire, right? As you go through your day, you don't think you're a millionaire. You are actually, right, right, logically and in reality, you are a millionaire, but you have no idea about what's sitting in your pocket. If somebody comes up to you and says, well, by the way, do you know that you have a, a ticket in your pocket that won the lottery? And you take it out and you look, oh my God, I'm a millionaire, right? In that moment, what's changed? Nothing changed. That you were a millionaire before the person pointed out the lottery ticket in your pocket, and you are a millionaire afterwards. Your understanding. The, the knowledge of it. Right. The knowledge of it. And Surabhashas says the same thing. If you are aware of the fact that you are in constant contact with the Creator, the light of the Creator, the force that created everything, and because of that, together with that force, you can do anything, that knowledge allows you to do anything. If you do not have that knowledge, even though it's true that you are in constant contact with that essence, with that light of the Creator, you can't do anything. Which I think, again, as I said, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a joke that they, that they tell. It's, some people tell it better than I. It's not a very funny joke, but you know, it's about an elephant. Should it be called a joke? Well, I guess some people, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a high bar for, I think, I have a high bar for, for jokes. Um, as you know, I keep a list of jokes that I think are really, really funny. And at some point, maybe we'll, we'll tell uh, well, um, You might have to them. tell it after this bad no, one. No, no, no. no, it's not a bad one. It's just a story of, of, a, of an elephant and a mouse. Like the mouse thing. is sitting on the on the on the back of the elephant. An elephant's running through the desert, and as he's running through the desert, you know it's bringing up all kinds of dust in there. A huge plume, a huge plume of, of, of dust behind him. 
And the mouse turns to the elephant and says, look at all the dust we're bringing up, right? <laughs> the point is, of course, the mouse is doing very little to do that, but in his mind, they're doing this together. And that's what we can do with our lives, which is that me and the light of the Creator, that endless force, that powerful force that has brought this entire universe into being that sustains it, me and that force can do anything. And if I'm aware of the fact that I'm in constant contact with that force, I can do anything. Well then, but I don't want to open this can of worms. Okay. Then the next question is, then how do you make sure you're in constant contact with that force? Well, no, the point is you are. You are. But you have to know it. You have to know it. You have to know it. As we sit here right now, as you sit there right now, as I sit there, as our listeners are the standing or sitting, whatever they're doing right now, they are in constant contact with, with that power. It's like force. my tea parties with God. It's exactly. the knowing. It's the exactly. knowing. Exactly. And I think that if everybody's honest with themselves and they take a minute right now, just think back when they had that feeling or that understanding, they'll find it. Yeah. Just sit with it. And it's it And remind yourself all the time. That's why I think, like I said, I think it's so important. This is not something neither for myself who's been you know, working at this for, you know, for over 30 years, you know, for yourself or for any of our listeners, this is not something that either comes easily or is retained easily. You have to, you have to be, I don't know if the word is fighting, but, yeah, but awakening this consciousness all the time, this thought all the time. You know, there's, there's a, uh, um, a story in the a teaching in the Talmud that says that before we are born, while we are in our, our mother's womb, an angel comes and teaches us all the wisdom of the world. And as we exit the womb, it says the angel hits us, you know, in, the, in that mark be, on the upper lip, between, between the upper lip and the nose, and we forget everything that we learned. And so the Kabbalists ask, if you were going to forget everything, all that great wisdom that you learned, what was the purpose of, of, of learning it? And they say because there's a, a concept called Rishimu, which means residue. So even though I don't remember all of that wisdom, it's first of all already in that perfect soul that I have, and I have a sense of it. You just need to reveal it. And then as I go through life and I do what I can to study, to grow, to change, to know, that becomes revealed to me. Mm -hmm. So this knowing that we're talking about, this is what is so powerful about, you know, when it's true wisdom, this that we're talking about, you know, this whole podcast about the, the power of our true essence, we all, every single person knows it. You need to take the time to think about it and to really, you know, come to that that knowing and live in that knowing of how powerful you are. But you know this already. Your soul knows this. And that residue is there. It's there. It's been there from even before you came into this world. And I think all of this, again, hopefully gives us the strength to live in that knowing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And as I said all, all the time, I hope that our listeners enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Please keep sending your questions into Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. We will try to get to as many of them as possible. And uh, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Um, go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, and rate it and write reviews. Of course, only the positive ones. And uh, we look forward to sharing with you again next week. Bye.